Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Alex Reed on the Rider Flex podcast. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning. I am doing great. I'm happy to be here and, and excited about our chat. You know, I've been following you on social media. I'm a fan. We've, we, we've been connected for a while, right? Uh, you know, from the, from the big ass fans to the Trumans and I can't, I don't even know how we got connected. Maybe it was through John, but, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I've been following your stuff and I, you know, you're great on social media. Uh, so wow. I'm a, I'm a huge Alex fan. I appreciate you coming <laughs> on the show. <laughs> I appreciate that, Steve. Yeah. It's funny. Like I have more and more of those these days where, it's like how we've been connected for years. I, I don't remember how we connected or, or what, who our mutuals were, but it, it, you know, you have these, uh, especially now in the kind of COVID era, uh, all these digital friendships and it's harder to trace back. I think when it wasn't a physical meetup to how right. you all met. And right. So I, I find myself having this conversation more and more where it's like, uh, I don't remember how we met, but we know each other. And isn't that interesting? We're like, interesting, you know, we're, we're virtual friends, right? Like when I see your postings, my mind says, oh yeah, I know Alex, you know, like, 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 I know you're like, we're friends, but I'm exactly. but, but then when you, when you really think about it, like, well, wait a minute, we've never actually met. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's a weird thing. And I have people too, that I'm, and I'm sure you do as well. Where It's like, this is a pretty good friend. Like we've talked quite a bit. Like, I feel like we've known each other for a long time and know each other really well. And then you realize, but we've never actually shook hands. And right you know, I think that's going to be more and more common though, going forward, yeah. which is a great thing too. It opens it the door to meet more people that you otherwise uh, probably wouldn't get to know. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into business, I want to know a little bit more about you personally, some early life stuff, if you don't mind. Uh, let's let's talk family, mom, dad, where you were raised, any siblings. Can you give us a little overview, if you don't mind? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's it's there's no crazy story. So I grew up um, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, two-parent home, uh, brother and a sister, I mean, is, is probably classic American dream type thing, you know, solidly middle-class uh, family, which was, was fantastic. And it took, I think, perspective of getting older and, and understanding that not everybody is born into that same circumstance, that bubble to really, really appreciate just what a leg up it was for me as a child to have a support network, parents who cared and were involved in the sports that I played and cared if I came home with A's, B's or C's, siblings to push me and be competitive. You know, it, it, of course, every every upbringing is not without challenge, but, you know, I didn't, it was, it, there was no trauma, you know, there was no concern that I was going to, you know, go home to an abusive home or food insecurity or things like that. So, you know, one of the things I talk about now that I'm older and have a family of my own, is just how important those formative years are. Um, not that you can't come out of more difficult circumstances, but um, it, it's important. And I'm, I'm beyond grateful that I, I had that. Uh, and, and now, you know, it's, it's also this pay it forward thing and, and be understanding, be empathetic, because not everybody grows up with those, those same advantages. So uh, yeah, my upbringing, like I said, not not outrageous in any capacity, but I think was really critical to giving me a work ethic, giving me, you know, humility, gratitude, things that, that really matter now, I think more than ever. Isn't it fascinating how you're right. So many people live in this little bubble and they, they have no idea some of the struggles that other people go through or what life could be like, you know, 10 miles away from them. Uh, and they're, they're on social media, they're on Facebook and they're, they're mad about whatever, right. Some little, some little problem or what they think is a problem, 
Meanwhile, you know, 20 miles away, there's a kid who uh, has had beans three nights in a row. His mom is a drug addict, uh, hadn't seen her in two days, and he's just trying to figure out what to eat, and he's 12 years old, right? Like, people, people really need to venture out a little bit more, I think, than they have been. And I, I think it's a great practice. I remember the last time uh, Kim and I went down to uh, Cancun. I mean, that's just a small example, right? I mean, you fly in. You fly down to Cancun, and when they're driving you from the airport to the to the quote resort, mm-hmm. all, you, all you got to do is look left and right when you're on the when you're on the bus, and you're like, oh shit, okay, yeah, there's people that are in in pretty bad shape. Uh, so yeah, it's it's good to be grateful, good to be humble. I'm, I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, I mean, perspective is a hell of a drug. <laughs> I think you know it, it, it's one of those things where um, you know not to go too far off topic, but diversity. And I, and I mean that in the broadest sense is, is important because diversity of thought um, yes. can cover up blind spots that you have as an individual. Um, I know that I, I wasn't exposed to certain things, but you want to be around people who have different perspectives, different upbringings, different philosophies, because then you're able to challenge each other and make sure that you're not falling into that trap. Like you said, of thinking these problems that I'm dealing with today are, are the most important in the world. Um, right. Because it, right. it, what ultimately all that does is create blind spots for you and it's a weakness. So um, I do think it, it, it is always important to, to maintain that perspective that um, the way you grew up or the life that you live even now in present day is so different. And, and gosh, not to, again, go even further off topic, but you look at what's happening in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. And there are people that, are leaving their homes with probably the thought in their head, I'll never go back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a situation that's unfathomable to most of right. us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here it is happening, you know, something that we never really pictured going on there. And so it's just, it is really important, I think, to, to always maintain that balance and because you can get caught up in the minutia and stuff that doesn't yes. matter. And it's, it's good to kind of bring yourself back to balance. I want to say one more thing on this topic, but then we'll move on. I want to ask you about your mom and dad. One more thing. This happened just yesterday. Uh, Scott, my, my co-founder, Scott, here at recruiting from RiderFlex, uh, we were uh, complaining earlier that morning because we've got this freaking client that hasn't paid us on time, you know, and uh, and we're, you know, and I'm in a bad mood yesterday morning and I'm like, you know, this fucking guy better pay us, you know, <laughs> and I'm just mad, you know, I'm upstairs getting coffee and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, you know, I just, you know, people always trying not to pay us. Anyway, I was in a bad mood. Well, the point is a few hours later, uh, I'm talking to somebody that is an acquaintance of ours and I had no idea that he has brain cancer. And, oh, and it's, ter- and it's terminal. And I had no idea. I've known this guy for a while, always in a good mood, always positive perspective. I mean, you would never know that he's been going to chemo and he's ha- been in the hospital three times in the last two, two months. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, wow, like, okay, I just need to, I just need to check myself. I need, I need to, like here, this guy is, you know, and you, I'm, I'm thinking I'm having a bad day because the client hasn't sent a check on time. And this guy's like up and positive and just pushing forward. I'm like, wow. Okay. This, they just snapped me back into reality. <laughs> well, and, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's always somebody carrying some burden and, and Steve, where I thought you were going with that too, was that the, the person who owed you money had brain cancer. Oh no. Um, well, but, but, but what's where I was going with that was, I always like to give people um, the the benefit of the doubt and assume yeah. good intent because we're all dealing with things and we're yes. not open about them. And so that's one thing that I use too is um, I don't know what that person's going through right now. So I want to make sure that I'm at least assuming the best of intent um, and going into it, that mindset because it's, it's tough going through life if you assume everybody's out to get you. And <laughs> that's just that's a, that's a rough way to go. It is true. Everybody's going through something. Let me ask you, uh, your parents, what'd your, what'd your mom and dad do, uh, real quick, if you don't mind. 
So my parents neither graduated from college. Um, They both came from big families. Uh, My mom was one of seven. My dad was one of five. And my dad also grew up in a a very white collar, single parent home, lost his dad at an early age um, Mm. and was in college and ended up going into the army. Um, And uh, I think what what came from their upbringings that was uh, really passed down to me was just a, a focus on hard work um integrity i mean they were northern ohio uh families you know just very down to earth um you you show up you do your work um you do a good job and you don't ask for anything kind of uh upbringings and and um you know it's funny i i I can point to things now um my wife likes to to joke that i just won't let food go to waste like I'll eat until I'm sick. If it's the difference between throwing away food, but you start to trace those things back and where that came from. And it's like, yeah, because in a household like that, where it was paycheck to paycheck month to month, um, resources were scarce. You, you had to be, you know, very conservative. And, um, I think that's, that's when I think about my parents, they were, they were, you know, and again, they weren't, shaming me into to that sort of thing but you you pass these values down and um they were just very value-driven people very loving family was more important than things experiences were more important you know even though we were middle class we weren't wealthy by any means but we always did family vacation because that was important to them was to have those experiences and those are things that now are important to me and and my family and making sure that we're making memories together and so the parent question is interesting to me because I'm always thinking about, well, where did that quirk come from? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. why am I yes. this way? And, and why am I asking my kids to do this thing? And it, it, yes. it is funny when you start tracing back, you see how much of that is, is passed down genetically. Are they still around and where are they at? They are. And part of the reason, so I was out of Louisville uh, for, for 15 years, um, which is where I am now, but where I grew up as well. Um, okay. Part of the reason I moved back is because uh, I wanted to be closer to my parents for my kids to have a relation, good relationship with them. My dad has Parkinson's now, unfortunately. So, you know, it's, it's, he's been good. I mean, he's 10 years in and he's managed it well, all things considered, but I know there are certain things that they need help with from time to time and will continue to need help with. And so being near them was an important decision and factor for my family as well. And again, that just speaks to the bond of, of family being important. Um, my brother and sister-in-law now live a mile and a half away from me. Um, my sister's just a few few minute drive. Like those are things that that just really make me happy. Um, yeah, that's and so great. I'm, I'm an, yeah, great situation as far as family and proximity and all that goes. Very good. Uh, and so, you were you the first kid to go to college, or did your brother and sister go as well? My brother's two years older, so he beat me. So he was the okay. yeah, yeah yeah. Did he go to UK? One. Did he go to the he did. Kentucky? He, he started at uh, Xavier University in Cincinnati and ended up transferring to UK. And it was out of state private tuitions are no joke, even back then, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so ended up going to UK and he and I, you know, we, we were always pretty close being just a couple of years apart, being boys who played sports. And so that carried through to, to college and beyond. And did, did yeah. you play, uh, did you, so you were a high school athlete. Did you, did you get to play intramurals at, uh, at, at UK? Uh, no, I didn't play anything yeah, okay. competitively okay. at UK. Um, but yeah, did you go to the basketball games? Uh, well, I was actually a Louisville fan. Um, I did go to some games, but, you know, growing up in Louisville, I ended up, you know, being a Cardinals fan. Uh, my I parents see. didn't have any university allegiance, so they kind of picked up the Cardinals when they moved here from Northeast okay. Ohio. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I never never picked up the Cats, and probably my mistake. <laughs> wow. So you weren't one of those crazy students in the stands that I see going just nuts? No, no, I was never a big school spirit guy. Okay. Okay. Well, you, uh, all right. So talk to me. Well, by the way, were you a wild kid in college? Were you, were you, you know, partying every night, straight A's? Uh, where, where were you in that? A little, in the, in... little of both. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I graduated <laughs> with high honors, but I was also, you know, I got into a little bit of trouble here and there. And I, I, what, looking back at it, I was like, the, the thing I did well was I got in trouble with the smart kids. Ooh, <laughs> all right Ooh, um good. so you limit it you limit the amount of situations you put in that are potentially you put yourself in that are potentially fatal 
<laughs> so that way you can get into some trouble, make some mistakes, learn from it, but you're not going to spend the rest of your life in prison, hopefully because of some <laughs> stupid thing you did at 19 years old when you've been pushed out onto your own and your brain's not even fully developed. <laughs> right. It, were you right, ever, ever arrested? Any DUIs in there? Anything fun? Uh, nothing that I want to, nothing that I want on record, Steve. We'll say that. <laughs> and nothing, nothing, nothing too bad. No, nothing too bad. Okay. All but right. It's funny. It is funny. We put, um, again, I'll go on tangents if you let me. So sorry, but we put 18, 19 year old kids in the strangest situations in this country, asking right. either to go fight for us, to go figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives, to take on tremendous amounts of debt, to go into these situations that mm -hmm. can lead to really bad outcomes. Like I said, wh whether it's you getting arrested or, you know, having some sort of accident, and it's like we we know scientifically your your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you start hitting your kind of early mid 20s yet we put you in these situations where you're forced to make really big life altering decisions and I'm I'm a big advocate for we should be pushing that back a little bit we shouldn't be expecting our 18 year old uh, kids to go out there and and make adult decisions quite yet um, but that like I said that there's a there's a rant for me and I get uh, made fun of and teased around the office all the time because I have rants about just about anything <laughs> that I'm surprisingly passionate about. I always tell people, man, when I was 19 years old, I had two things on my mind. A, getting laid. B, drinking beer. That's it. <laughs> we're, I mean, we'll just say it. We're idiots. We're 18-year-old, 19-year-old men are complete idiots. And yes. we're, we're driven yes. by all sorts of bad incentives. And it's just yes. like, why? We, we know this. <laughs> Can we break the cycle, please? <laughs> so, uh, maybe okay. one day. so you're moving along. Now, am, if, I, if I'm looking at the timeline right, big-ass fans started while you were still in school or, or something what mm -hmm. walk me through did you always oh, i guess the first question is did you have an entrepreneurial bug early on did you know you wanted to be you know in a, in a startup kind of early phase entrepreneur walk me through how all that happened as you're going yeah. through school go, yeah, go no i mean to my to my point steve about 18 year old 19 year olds i didn't know what the hell i wanted to do when i was in college <laughs> I, I i picked like a, a major that was more marketing and comms oriented because I like to write. Um, okay. You know, I was always a writer. So I was in the school of journalism and telecommunications. Um, it was on a track to join an ad agency. I did that as an internship uh, okay. between my sophomore and junior year, very quickly realized that it was not that interesting to me. Um, and so the next summer is when I joined big ass fans. So it was between my junior and senior year. So I was still in college loved it. So you could say it was on the client side, you know, I was working for in the marketing department for a manufacturer. It was a relatively small company at the time, uh, maybe 75 people, about 20 million revenue. So established, but, but by no means a giant. Um, what they have you doing at first, just, um, yeah, were you sales, were you marketing? What, what were you doing? I was marketing. Um, and it really, this was great fortune. It started off with building case studies. Um, mm. so calling customers, mm. interviewing them, writing case studies at the time we were branching into different markets. So instead of just the one industrial fan, we were getting into commercial applications, gyms, schools, restaurants, and we wanted to build a library of content around the different use cases. So not only, so at the same time that I'm learning about customers, I'm learning about our product, I'm, I'm refining my writing skills for marketing. I'm getting to interact with different salespeople who are connecting me to their customers and building rapport throughout the business. So mm -hmm. with the benefit of hindsight, I'm like, I couldn't have asked for a better assignment yeah. coming in as an intern. Um, and that graduated into uh, a full-time role. And I, I was really, even during my senior year, working about 40 hours a week there because I had a light course load my senior year, but I started doing vertical marketing, um, vertical market marketing to these industries. So instead of just building case studies, having complete responsibility for certain segments of our business from a marketing plan perspective. So, you know, advertising, trade shows, um, content, PR, you know, pitching to the industry, trade publications, and getting kind of a 360 view of all of marketing. And, and really, you know, at 20 years old, being given uh, tens of thousands of dollars to run campaigns, 
and that freedom to fail. I didn't know it at the time, but that was what was sort of giving me that entrepreneurial nudge because it was entrepreneurial. Our CEO was loved young professionals because we were fearless. We didn't know any better. We hadn't made enough mistakes to be afraid of, <laughs> of doing it, which is why the average age in the company was like 30 years old. Um, and so I got all of this responsibility and you could, I can point to milestones throughout my 10 year run there where it was like, wait, you're asking me to do this. It kept going, <laughs> but I was one of those people back to the hard work comment that just, I liked it. I liked being challenged. I, I enjoy a healthy amount of stress and, and, you know, putting that pressure on myself. Um, and so I was just always one of those people that said, yes, give me that to do. Let me try that. And I think that's a really healthy mindset to go into because if you're just waiting on somebody to give you more responsibility or give you more challenges, you may be overlooked. And so being out there and asking for it and a willingness to make mistakes and to learn from them too, um, that humility, you know, I, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And so having uh, the founder of Big Ass Fans in particular take me under his wings and 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 sometimes in a hardened way <laughs> tell me what I was doing wrong uh, was was I couldn't have asked for a better role right out of college. I mean, it was. Were, it was, were you reporting right to the founder, and who was that? No, so I was I, I was probably just reporting to like a marketing manager or something okay. in the beginning. But in the beginning, you know, but yeah, it, when you were global I, marketing director, though, who you who? Drew yeah, you? the CEO. Okay, um, and so like four years in, I was running marketing. Um, okay. Actually, so I I did an interim stint um, and then I went and did a, uh, I launched our consumer brand and ran that for a few years. I see, okay. And then on the heels of that is when I full-time global marketing director for the company and, and there was, was reporting, to, yeah. Okay, you were reporting to the CEO. There was no CMO. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, so okay. I was the head of marketing when I when okay. I left the business. Okay. Had been who, and who was the CEO? Uh, Kerry Smith. He was the founder. He was the founder. Okay, where did where did Bostock come in on that, John? Where how did I can't remember. So John came in, um, I think, in twenty sixteen um, as the COO, first ever COO of the company. I see. Okay, um, and so John. Um, his main responsibility was really getting, uh, was helping Carrie, the founder and CEO, set up the organization for sale. Um, so see. Carrie had bootstrapped. I mean, there's not many founders that will bootstrap from zero to $250 million in revenue um, because the skill sets are so different, right? At every stage of the business. And I think what Carrie realized was his passion is on the earlier stage. You okay. know, operating a mature company like that. It, it, for some people, that's a ton of fun. For for Carrie, I, I don't think it was as much fun at that point. And so okay. he got to know John. John was like, I think I can really help you position this company for sale so that you I can see. do what you want to do. I see. Um, and I told John, I don't know if he ever shared this story with you. Uh, I mean, it was probably within six months of him joining that I'm, I'm out. Um, just wanted you to know, uh, and I'll help <laughs> you transition. I don't know when I'm out, but I'm, I'm, this isn't for me. Why? 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 Because you didn't want to grow it or because at first you didn't like John? What happened? No, no. Same, same reason as Carrie. I, I realized that what I was passionate about was earlier stage businesses. Okay. We were getting it. And some of that was, yeah, we're getting into, you know, cost controls and we're getting into yeah. stricter yeah. organizational design and succession planning and, you know, mm -hmm. building a bench. And I, I liked the less formed side of actually figuring out what our go-to-market was going to be and then how do we expand. And, and so I just, I, 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 I was open with him and that's when he brought me into the fact that he was there to help sell the company. I should stick with it. I can help him in that process, uh, which is what I ended up doing. So that last year that I was there pre-sale 2017, I would say 60% of my time was operating as a leader of marketing and 40% was the deal process. Cause it was great a, experience a for you. Great, yeah. Great experience. I mean, yeah, that was, was, that was a pivotal point in your career right there. You probably didn't know it when it first started, but I never know. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I only benefit from hindsight. I yeah, never know when I'm in the middle of it. Great experience going through that. Did you, did you grab some equity? Did they, did they, did they say, Hey, here's some equity or you didn't have any ownership in the company? I did. I did before I even knew the sale okay. was happening. So okay. we had a, what was called a stock appreciation right plan. 
it was very discretionary. The founder, you know, would, would give shares to people. I, I don't know. It wasn't very clear at the time, but yeah. um, what was amazing was he, he gave shares to well people like me that were young that he didn't have to. I didn't negotiate it as part of my compensation package when I joined. I was an intern when I joined. So he gave me grants along the way. But he, cool. there, were, there were production employees in the stock appreciation right plan, you know, very junior level. So it wasn't one of these things where it was only if you were an executive did you have access to that and did you benefit mm. at the end of the sale. That's a lot cool. of people benefited. Cool. A lot That's of life-changing outcomes, which is really what? cool. And life-changing for you, life-changing for you or enough, to, enough to buy a house somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I mean, it, it was material. Um, and Good. so I, I would say life-changing because I think it would be unfair to, to, to not say that because it was, like I said, it was material. It wasn't That's like great. I bought an Island. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, that's the tough thing, you, right? Is when you talk yeah. about it, everybody life changing for some people is different for others. True. So, um, True. And, and what uh, I, you know, again, I think was we at Be Simple now, I'm skipping steps, but every employee will have equity no matter where they come into the organization. Because philosophically, I think one, it changes the mindset when you're an owner versus just a participant. Mm. But two, we want that that is so cool. And I remember Carrie remarking on it more than his big exit and, and, you know, his money was like, how many lives did I just change? Um, yes. that that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it is. It, uh, it's a so, special yeah. thing that I, I actually, we've talked, I've talked to many guests on the podcast about that. You know, as I get older, I'm, I'll, I'm 54 now. And, and as I get older, it, it's really all about the lives you changed. I mean, the material things are, are fun, I guess, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's how are you as a human being? What lives did you get to affect? How did you mentor and coach people? What opportunities did you give people? And if you own a business, if you're an entrepreneur and you're creating a, a business that, that produces a job that somebody buys a home with or puts their kids through college with, I mean, that is a special thing. It really is. And it's hard to describe how, how wonderful that feels until you actually go through it. So I totally get what he says. Well, our philosophical alignment is, is really strong, Steve, because I agree with you. I mean, you, you don't take anything with you at the end of the no. day. It's, no. it's relationships. It's the human connection. And um, it definitely takes, I think, getting older, uh, at least it has for me, to continue to gain that perspective that it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey. So I, I, I love hearing that from you too, because I think that's just, um, we'd all be better off if we, we operated with that philosophy. It's, isn't it true? Uh, so let me ask you, so uh, were you married at the time? Uh, when did you get married? Uh, I was a few days shy of 24 when I got married. So I got married pretty young. Okay. Yeah. All right. So as you're moving up and developing and, and, and all that through big ass fans, you were married in there and starting, starting a family. How many, do you have kids? Yeah, I have two. And my son was born, um, almost nine months to the date after we got married. Uh, so there wasn't a long honeymoon <laughs> before the family. So I joked that I went in like a 14 month span or maybe it was 18 months, 14 or 18 months. I went from a guy with a girlfriend to married with a house and a kid. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's life has transformed that. <laughs> I went huh? zero to 60. Did and you I, meet her in I school? Zero regrets. I met her at Big Ass Fans. Oh, so really? I was still in school. She wasn't. She was a little older than me. She was already out in the, the workforce um, okay. when she was in sales at Big Ass Fans. She was in sales and you were in marketing and then what you saw her, you're in the conference room and you're like, Hmm, I don't know. I think I need to, uh, <laughs> Hey, you want to go to, you want to go to lunch? Let's go to lunch. <laughs> it's funny you say that because it was sort of like that, except it was, we had group lunches. So just a, a group of us ended up having lunch every day because we all enjoy each other's company. And so we got to know each other as friends over a pretty long period of time before we even started dating, but it was the, you know, it's, it's always tough in workplace. And I probably now, if I were single, would never even think about that because I know what the downsides are. But again, being young, you don't. Yes. Um, but it's a great place to get to know somebody that's, you know, not a bar and yeah. not a high pressure situation and stuff like that. And so like, there was the benefit of like, really getting to, to know somebody on a 
personal non-dating level versus, oh, I just, I saw you and I asked you out and now we're putting on this facade of, you know, who we are. And it, no, right. it was, it was good to be, be friends first. What was the first move? Hey, come over and make you dinner. Hey, come to, Hey, I got tickets to a ball game. Like what, what was the first little. You remember? I don't, I don't have a move, Steve. I know I don't <laughs> I actually don't. I don't remember what our, our first official date was. That's, that's terrible. She might, um, she's going to, Oh, you're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, I probably am. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Um, probably okay. cause I have no game. And did you uh, have to uh, tell your boss? Were you like, okay, we need to we need to tell the leadership team, or they they knew, or no, there was no it deal. was they didn't care. Culturally, there were so many couples there. Okay. I mean, we always said they're the big ass babies. You know, were everywhere. Um, some of our <laughs> best friends met there, and they have kids our kids' age that are friends. There's like multi generational, you know, big ass fans <laughs> offspring. So it's. It, it, I think as we got bigger, it became a little bit more of a concern. And in fact, yeah. my wife voluntarily left the business after our second, um, not okay. under any kind of pressure, but we both, I was working a ton. Um, we, we, in fact, I actually almost left the company earlier than that uh, because I, we were having our, our first and I wanted to have some resilience. And I was like, oh, we both work for the same company. What if shit hits the fan? You know, right. uh, no pun intended. Yes. Um, and that was the first time that I came into the stock plan was when I tried to leave. It was like, mm. oh, no, 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 we want you here. Um, mm. Here's what we have going on. You know, mm. here's here's some things you can do that'll make it interesting. And I felt better about the future, you know, at that point. Um, but then still, uh, it was just it was too much to have us both working because the next six years from there or whatever, it was it was very long days, lots of travel. And uh, we were fortunate to be in a position that my wife could stay home uh, with our two kiddos. Very good. How old are your kids now? Uh, my son just turned 10 and my daughter is seven and a half. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Congratulations on a wonderful family. Thank so, you. So the exit happens. And then why you, you and John develop a relationship or he's like, he's like, Hey man, I'm gonna go start something else. Walk, walk me through how you got the Truman's with John. Yeah, we, we did start talking during the, the sale process about doing something more entrepreneurial. Um, John knew where, where my heart was from that initial conversation. And John was a, before his, he became GE John and Mr. Corporate was a, was a failed entrepreneur right out of school, which is totally like a great experience. But I always kid because it's amazing. John really invented podcasts before they were a thing. Um, and before technology made it feasible. Um, and I always kid him that he was like five years off from, from being a, you know, multi-billionaire. Um, but you know, timing is so, so important and especially in tech. Um, but John always had that itch. Um, I think he had ancestor, you know, his, his grandparents were very entrepreneurial. So like, um, I think he saw this as an opportunity. He took a leap from GE, very safe, you know, high paying, nobody would ever fault you for being a career person there. He took a leap to join big ass fans. There was no guarantee he was going to successfully consummate that transaction. Um, and he, he worked it masterfully. Um, he was ready for another leap. He wanted to start something at zero and, and, that I mean, we looked at a number of different options, and and we obviously we landed on a direct consumer cleaning products company, um, because uh, you know I think we're just opportunistic, and you know I'm skipping ahead. I'm in B two B SaaS now, and it's not because I like I'm passionate about cleaning or I'm passionate about software. I can get passionate about anything if I believe that what we're doing adds a lot of value. If there's a huge market opportunity, if I like the team, like those are the variables. Because people will be like. Went from fans to cleaners. And I'm like, the category doesn't matter. It's it's yeah. the opportunity that I get excited about. Gotcha. Well, I don't know how you get excited about cleaning products, but how did he talk you into it? <laughs> and the lack of innovation um, okay. in the space, uh, both from a, a product and technology standpoint to a brand standpoint, brand voice, um, all the way to the, the go-to-market. I mean, it's it's as boring as it gets. It's brands that have been around for a century yep. that sit on a shelf that have looked the same and functioned the same for, for years and years. There's a lot of waste because it's, you know, the, the way they're packaged and sold is specific to retail where they're sold, you know, on big pallets, but that doesn't really work if you want to buy it direct in the e-commerce era and have it shipped to your home. Cause I, 
I can't ship a full bottle of cleaner and, and only charge you $3 and make any money on it. Um, so there were a lot of things that we felt like were just outdated about the okay. cleaning category. And okay. now looking at it, and there's a there's been a ton of change since 2018 when we jumped into it, um, which is a good thing. People are rethinking their supply chains. They're rethinking their packaging. They're rethinking the customer experience. And I like to think we, we played a role in, in moving the industry in a better direction. There's still a long way to go, but that was a big part of the draw was just like, nobody's touched this. And I think the reason is there was never a motivation when everything sat on a retail shelf. It was about having the brightest colors, the newest mm-hmm. fragrances, um, inter- maybe some interesting bottle designs, but nothing that was really technologically innovative. Right. Um, yeah. And nothing that was 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 conversational because you can't be the the brand is sitting on a shelf their customer is the retailer not the end user and so that was one thing that we were like excited about bringing to the table is we can actually get feedback directly from our end users and uh customer service and and that engagement with our our users was a huge part of what we did Mm -hmm. and and why we we had really good retention rates with our brand because there is that demand. We, we didn't know if it was there. We were like, okay, maybe nobody ever has any questions or ideas for their cleaning brand. And it is what it is. But the minute we, I can think back to when John and I were at Starbucks and tinkering and we turned on live chat on our website and the bell starts ringing. It's like, okay, people, they do care. They have questions. They want to know about, <laughs> so what do I use on this surface or what are the ingredients in this? Is it safe if I have plants? I mean, you wouldn't believe it, Steve, how many questions and, um, the days of, of legacy brands just sitting there and having no two-way communication with their customers is just over. Yeah, that's great. I can see, I can almost see the look on your face. You're sitting at Starbucks and you're like, is it safe on plants? I don't know. How do we answer the question? <laughs> yeah, we had, fortunately, we had a great relationship with our manufacturer and the developers of the product because we had formulas that were unique to us. Great. Um, awesome. And so anytime we got too technical, because people would go deep too. And, and I bet you, you've got to get the, the chemists <laughs> and the scientists in there um, to help because, yeah, we obviously we weren't chemical engineers. Yeah. Um, you learn a lot. Wasn't wasn't a mechanical or electrical engineer either, but I was able to, to move fans um, <laughs> and, and I'm not a software engineer. And here I sit today in a software company, but you need to know enough and you need to be able to find those common threads. If it's a one off, sure, maybe that's no big deal. But if you're hearing this question over and over again, one, you're either not communicating it properly in your sales and marketing or two, there's an opportunity there. If somebody's, because what they're doing is they're signaling to you that this is important. You got to listen to what they're, they're not saying when they're asking the question um, because there may be opportunities from a product development or a go-to-market standpoint that you just hadn't considered. And that's been the thread that's really consistent through my career is going direct, talking to your customers hearing what they're saying and then incorporating that it's such a virtuous cycle. Big ass fans had a customer advocacy team who their only responsibility was calling customers to say, what did we do wrong? It could be mm. anything. I didn't like the color of the packaging it came in or the installer threw a cigarette butt in our parking lot on his way in, like whatever it was, mm. we wanted to hear about it because it's a lot of times customers won't give you their feedback. You really have to, to pry. They just want to check the box and say, oh, it was okay. It was fine. It was fine. But no, really, what could we have done better? And that mentality was, yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge, uh, huge benefit to the companies. For the listeners that don't know, uh, Truman's.com, um, Alex was the co-founder and chief marketing officer. You guys started that in 2018. Did you bootstrap it with John or did you have it, uh, funding right away? No, we had um, we had a uh, a little bit of cash come in from the manufacturer as well, but other than okay. that, there was no outside like investors. Okay, so we, and we ended up doing vent- a venture round. Yeah, that's right. But that was about okay. a year or year and a half in before we we did the outside. Round. More great more great experience for you. Now you're co-founding a company and learning how to raise cash. More <laughs> great experience. Yeah. Uh, who, who'd you get? Can you tell us who you exited to? And did you exit in uh, what March of 2021? Or when did you guys exit there? And, and, and who, who bought it? Yeah, I can't. I mean, you could probably figure it out. I can't share who because it was a deal based around intellectual property. Okay. Um, and they wanted to kind of be stealth. In fact, it's piloting this year in Europe. Uh, so it's a multinational organization okay. that wanted to 
incorporate the technology we had developed into their own brands. And so that's why you, you can still see Trumans.com exists and hasn't been redirected because that wasn't part of the deal, wasn't part of the I transaction. See. I see. Um, which makes sense. You know, we were only a few years in. So your brand equity, even though people who knew the brand loved it on, on a macro scale, like global scale, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so okay. a company with existing brands that it wants to support is way more focused on, okay, I, how do I now improve what I, this huge base that I have from, from a margin perspective, from a supply mm-hmm. chain efficiency, from a customer experience. And it was a deal centered around the, the technology. For a CPG brand to exit that fast, that's, that's, I don't see that very often. <laughs> no, and I, it wasn't our plan. I think it's, it's circumstantial. You, you roll with opportunities. What we observed, in, in fact, when we started that conversation with the company who we ultimately exited to, it was around licensing and it was years prior. And so this, there wasn't a calculated... Okay. Um, you know, we, we started, John and I started looking at, I don't know how closely you pay attention to DTC, direct to consumer trends. There was a golden era where Facebook advertising was super cheap and um, a lot of brands popped up where all it was, was a brand, right? They were going to the same manufacturer. So you had 15 uh, beauty brands that are selling virtually the same thing with cool packaging. Um, we wanted to differentiate and have some potentially unique go-to-market models. Um, one of the things we looked at was a, was a seven-figure deal in Asia that we ultimately walked away from because of the exit, but was to take our brand and our product with a partner into Korea and Japan, which was, was pretty interesting. Um, we had a few others. One was doing some innovation work with Hankel, which had been a lead investor. Um, so okay. seeing if we could put the technology into different categories. Um, outside of just cleaning. And then the third one was this sort of licensing model that we were exploring. And that was ultimately what led to, you know, them just acquiring it versus licensing it. So it's one of those things where I always say you just, especially in early stage companies, you just, you've got to be open-minded to the situation that you find yourself in. Um, Because you can have a big vision, but so much of that changes from the time you write your initial thesis of why we're doing this to, uh, to the actual close or exit. Um, and that, that was very much what happened for us. It was, it was something we didn't think we were going to run for the rest of our lives, but yeah, I think three years was, was probably quicker than we thought too. And no, no, uh, ride along. You didn't have to stay for a certain amount of time, anything like that, that you left pretty quick afterwards. What was the, what was the deal for you and John there? Yeah, well, because it was a, an intellectual property-based sale and th- there was no operating the existing brand or the existing infrastructure. So John and I actually, months prior to that, had engaged in a wind-down process, okay. knowing that they weren't going to take our existing operations. So like team members knew what was happening long in advance um, okay. and, and nobody was surprised. So um, there, but there was no, like, we have to maintain this on the other side. In fact, the acquirer didn't want to have to maintain okay. anything. Okay. They wanted to be able to plug and play the, the IP. Great. Okay. Very good. Congratulations. Successful exit that fast. Well, uh, appreciate that, Steve. yeah, I mean, that's really, you, congrats. I mean, you learned a lot more great experience there. You and John bonded to big ass fans. And then you started that together, you know, from that, were you thinking, okay, I, I, now I've done, I've exited twice now, right? Once as, once, I guess, as an employee slash equity holder, and then once as a co-founder, do, do you think, all right, I want to take a year or two off. I'm going to chill for a while. I'm going to spend time with my kids. I want to start something else. Where does your mind go from there? Oh man, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to do something fast. That was the one thing I had sort of resolved was um, I wanted to take my time and really evaluate a number of options. I even, I remember I built a spreadsheet with different um, different variables that I weighted based on how important they were to me. I mean, things like location, size of company, role. Um, I knew I wasn't going to start another company. That was one Why? thing I had ruled out. Why? Why? I, I just wanted a break. 
the zero to one is, is so grueling. Um, and so whatever I, I knew I wanted to join a business that was not pre-revenue, um, and not pre-product. Um, I just didn't know how early stage, but I, I had ruled out, I'm going to do another company. And I'm not saying that I'll never do that again. I just didn't want to do that again, back to back. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up taking uh, about six months off, um, spent a lot of time with my kids, did a few cool. consulting projects. Um, but the, the month I closed is when I met the founders or the CEO at Be Simple, which is a company I ultimately joined. Mm-hmm. I joined them as an advisor in March. I said, sure, I'm not doing anything. They were, they were pre-launch. So the product wasn't out in the wild. They were struggling a little bit with how do we position this? How do we talk to our customers about this, you know, value? Were they funded? Uh, Were they funded? Or or angel? Okay. So they were pre-seed, but they had a little bit of angel investment. Um, Great team too. And um, they, uh, they were like, can you help us out? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm not for free. Let me guess it for free. It was well, for free. I, I, I joined as an advisor. I got some advisory shares, but it was, yeah, okay. I was not looking for any, any compensation. Okay. Um, okay. And over the next six months, as I was figuring out what I wanted to do next, uh, there was a lot of traction. So they're bringing on new customers, really big ones. Um, the product was really taking form. The team was taking shape. Um, and it got to the point where they were like, we need more of your time. Um, so I said, okay, this was September, October. I was like, I can be with you all. Let's call it 20 hours a week. Um, cause I was probably doing like, you know, three to five and okay. just advisory stuff. Okay. Maybe not even that much. Um, at the end of that two months of spending about 20 hours a week, the CEO was like, it's, it's shit or get off the pot time. Like I need somebody in here leading our sales and marketing organization if you can't do it, I understand. Help me find somebody that can. And so I remember thinking about it over the weekend. Um, I was relatively far along with a couple other opportunities that I had been considering. And I, I just told him, I was like, I'm in. Like, you are the type of people I want to spend time with. I believe in the mission. I love the traction that you've done so far. Um, I want to be part of this. And the rest is history. And that was October of last year. Did they have the money to pay you at that time or it was a small salary? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, all of us in early stage business, I think yes. you don't, you're not there to maximize your salary. Right. Um, so they, yeah, are, are, of course, you know, they want to do as much as they can, but you also, if you're an equity holder in the business, which as I said, everybody is when they come in, you also want to make sure you're, you're, you're playing the long game. Right. And so mm-hmm. cash, we want to deploy as much cash as we can to growing the business, which ultimately grows our valuation, which ends up being the big payoff. So it's that, that trade-off. I mean, I, 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 this is good. I don't know how to say this without sounding conceited. I had um, a pretty sizable offer from a PE back company um, in a really big role and I would have hated it. And it was, and it was biased on the, uh, you know, on the salary side versus the equity, because they want to make sure if it's a private equity held business, they want to make sure they, um, they get their <laughs> cut of the proceeds. And if there's any left over, you'll get it, but they're not also not afraid to go out and, you know, pay executives a, a really high salary. And that just wasn't where, where my heart or my head was at the time. And yeah. still isn't, you know, I just, it, it, it's about the money. I think it's going to get taxing very quickly. Uh, if you're not passionate about what it is they're doing. Great advice. <clears throat> Great advice Which right there. It's easy to want... say, although I'll say from a privileged position of, you know, not having to worry about my electric bill being paid, I, I, I can hear my, in my own head, people be like, well, yeah, it's easy to say it's not about the money if you make enough to be, to be comfortable. Um, so I definitely think it's, it's advice for people that are in that position not to keep chasing it, but there's nothing wrong, I'll say, with maximizing how much you earn and people should definitely fight for what they're worth. Nothing wrong with that. But the great advice that you gave there is, you know, if you if you've only worked for Coca-Cola or Nike or whatever, IBM, and you want to join a startup slash small company, early stage company, you just can't expect to come in with your two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar a year salary that you were making and, and do that in a small stage company. It is somewhat of a sacrifice to grab the equity and play the long game. And you got to be willing to do that and be able to make those financial sacrifices on the personal side at home 
do things a little bit differently, to take the smaller salary, uh, to to invest in that in that opportunity. It, it is somewhat of a risk, uh, but people just need to understand that. You know, I as RiderFlex grows, you know, we've we've been very blessed as a recruiting firm the last couple of years. We're just growing like crazy, and we uh, we do an okay job with our social media. Not as good as Alex and John used to do with Truman's, but uh, <laughs> we're we're out there a lot, and people will be like, "Oh man, I want to join RiderFlex. I want to be part of RiderFlex. You guys are cool." I'm like, "Okay." Let's talk about it. And then, and then, uh, you know, they're like, well, you know, I need to make 225 a year. And I'm like, okay, well, you, you don't, you, you don't understand startup. You don't understand small yeah. company. Like you, you, <laughs> yeah, it's like have your cake and eat it too. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's all a spectrum. And it's, and I've, you know, as I've recruited for V simple, that's, that's a common conversation that I have is it's the sliding scale of, yes. you know, if you want to maximize your, your earnings um, versus your earning potential, that's okay, but you need That's to understand okay. what your own risk profile is and, and then right. pursue the opportunities that match that because it isn't everybody's life, life circumstance is different. That's right. That's and one right. of the things I tell people at the startup too, is if you're in the venture backed world, is you almost have to think about it in, uh, as a one year contract because if you're going from round to round, um, you may not make it to the next round and you need to be okay with that uncertainty. And some people are, and some people aren't, but aren't. we shouldn't glorify startups uh, for everybody. Cause they're not for everybody uh, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables to it. I mean, how much you're working, travel, <laughs> compensation, well, certainty. You, you touched on it earlier because you, you, you said, and you, you reminded the listeners, like, listen, man, startup is a grind. It is very difficult. And I can understand why you said after exiting Truman's, you're like, okay, <laughs> I just, I don't know if I want to start something from scratch again, because for the listeners who haven't done that, it is, yeah, it is the most difficult thing you'll ever do. I always joke around. I tell people, I'm like, look, here's the deal, man. Being an employee is easy. <laughs> yeah. To- <laughs> yeah, you don't worry about any of that other stuff. That, yeah, and you, you don't know it until you've done it. I mean, I, I think it is one of those things. Yeah, you're yes. sleeping the floors. You're the IT manager. Like, and I went from that, you know, having a 30 person marketing department to back to, um, you know, I'm registering our domains and writing copy and, you know, visiting the printer and, and stuff like that that I hadn't done for years. Um, which is what I wanted. And I still like that. I like the hands-on approach, but some people are not. And you just have yeah. to know yourself and be honest with yourself about what you want to do. Let me give you a chance here before we run out of time. And by the way, for the listeners, Alex Reed uh, on LinkedIn, um, I encourage you to go there, check him out on, on LinkedIn. I think he's still, are you, are you, are you still accepting followers? I think so. Probably it depends, but he's also got a cool personal page, alexreed.me alexreed.me which i'm super impressed with i'm looking at this thinking holy shit i need one of these i got i need, I need, I need to do this so you check him out, out there the as well. <laughs> it's really good stuff and then vsimple.com vsimple.com who he currently uh works for i want alex uh to and he's the chief commercial officer there alex give us the uh and by the way, go to the website, vsimple.com. There's some videos in there and lots of great information. But give us the elevator pitch on vsimple if you don't mind. Go for it. Yeah, so we are a centralized workspace for manufacturers and distributors um, that is, is partnered with a really unique go-to-market model and process to help these companies. Um, we're targeting your mid-market industrial businesses. Um, so I don't know, call it anywhere from 50 to a thousand employees for the most part, um, we can go up easier, but it's a lot of businesses that have underinvested in how they work every day. So what we see is a lot of people that are over-reliant on office suite, you know, Excel, email, shared drives to get work done day in and day out. What we do is we dive into their operational processes uh, we'll simplify them, we'll standardize them, and then we'll centralize them in our workspace uh, to reflect those processes, only more streamlined. I'm not doing 20 things in 20 different places. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows who's on first, who's got the next action item, where the documents associated with that project or process live. It's all in one place and it's customized to that business. And then we train it on the other side. We know that software, especially in, in you know, lower tech industries, doesn't always stick. 
because people are comfortable doing things the way they have done it. And I don't think that's just true of lower tech. I think that's just human nature. We get comfortable. And so we, we go through and we handle implementation where we're on site, we're sitting with people, we're showing them how to use it. It's, it's very simple. And a lot of that is just putting them at ease that we're going to continue to run alongside you for as long as you're a customer. So changes you want to see in the platform, that's all on us. And so I tell people what, what drew me into vSimple was, was less the product, although I think the product is phenomenal and more of that go to market because it's, it's really missing from this space. There's, there's a concept in software called PLG, product led growth. You've seen it with you know, Monday, Asana, Basecamp, Slack, where it's free, right? The freemium. Mm-hmm. And then I hope that you mix up to an enterprise account where you're paying for some of these features. Right. doesn't work in this space. They're not, they're not seeking it out. They're not self-training. They're not customizing it because they don't have time or you know, necessarily the, the expertise. And that's the gap that we're trying to fill here is let us be that company that you know, really understands the way you work and then delivers a product that reflects that or improves it um, and then we'll stick with you, train you, um, and help you as you continue to grow and evolve. Okay. And it's a SaaS product. Is it, is it month to month, uh, based on user? What, how, what's the, the fee model? That's right. Yeah. It's month to month based on user. Um, right. if it's 10 users or less, it starts at like a hundred dollars a month and works its way down. So it gets more economical, the, the, the more team members you have on it. And we're typically, we're, it's a land and expand thing. We don't try to, to bite off you know, the entire organization at once. So we might start with 20 users. And then okay. you know, our first customer, for instance, last spring, when it was just getting up and running, started with a dozen and they're over 200 today. I see. Um, okay. Okay. Do you have to and, sign a long-term contract or can you try it for a month? Okay. No, that's another thing that, so the software model is so broken in so many ways that um, people sign you these one-year deals where you have to pay to get out of it if you don't like it. And it's like, we're going to penalize you for delivering a shitty product that didn't work for your organization. So we don't do that. And then they, if it's like, if you want to change anything, oh, here's the card of a $200 an hour consultant that'll come in and do it. It's like, no, we'll do that for you. We'll do is that. Part of the, is that part of the hundred dollars a month? Or is it's it extra? part of it. Oh. No, it's, it's, and all that work that I mentioned up front, like of us yeah. going through their no set, no setup fee. No, no. Uh, we'll do an implementation. Um, it, but it's like, $2,500 to $5,000. Um, okay. And that's really just covering TNA for us to go out on site. Okay. So we've got a customer we're on board, boarding right now and we're literally bringing them monitors. Um, wow. Because All they right. were like concerned that, okay, but this is another screen that I've got to look at. Um, and I, I've got two monitors right now that I need up all the time. We're like, okay, we got you. We're bringing it. We're going to hook it up for you. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a white glove sort of service. We didn't want to be, you know, this... One, I don't think it's what the, the customer needs, but two, I, I, we don't want to be this race to the bottom. How cheap can we make it? How one size fits all can we build our product? Mm. There's a place for that, but it wasn't a, it, there's plenty of options there already. Um, so what we wanted to do is really partner with organizations that I know that it's cliche, a lot of businesses say it, but I think if you saw the amount of pre-work we do in terms of doing process mapping based on we'll interview stakeholders and we'll map their processes Mm. and then we'll come back and we'll do a tailored demo, which reflects their processes, their Mm. language, all that's pre-contract. So we're actually showing you how many steps we can take out systems. We can remove time. We can save data. We can report. We're we're spending all this time up front with no guarantee from them because we (laughs) want to make sure that they see value in it and it sticks. Wow. Okay. That's impressive. Okay, very good. All right, vsimple.com. The, anybody that's listening should just go to the website and uh, go to the contact us page. Or what do you prefer? Uh, yeah, the website's totally fine. Our, our big contact us button is up there. So, um, or you can touch base with me. You know, I'm, I'm engaging with customers every day. Right before this, uh, we were doing a tailored demo uh, for uh, an equipment distributor. Um, okay. And those are a lot of fun because they're going through in real time saying, well, actually we call it this. And we're changing it there on the fly. <laughs> How about we're that? How about in their that? process. Tons of fun. Very good, my friend. Well, if anybody can uh, make this explode into the market, you can for sure. Uh, your, your social media, and I know we're out of time here. We're three minutes over. I apologize. Uh, your ability, Alex, to engage the customer and get them to 
care about the brand and talk about the brand and feel part of the brand and feel like they have a voice with the brand, your ability to do that is really exceptional. I, I never, like when I first saw Truman's, I'm like, I'm like, okay, cleaning product is super boring. Like, I don't really don't give a shit. And then, and then, and then I started watching your social media and the things you guys are putting out. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, let me see what, what's Alex saying to John today? What, what, what are they doing? Uh, They're having a conversation. Kind. And then all of a sudden you're following the brand. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this brand's cool. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this brand. You, you do a great job of that, buddy. Really, oh, really awesome you. job. Yeah, yeah, awesome. You're, you're, awesome you're kind job. for saying that. We just try to be human, you know, and have a little fun. It's, Love it. Life, life's too short to be working on a boring brand. Isn't that the truth, my friend? Life is too short not to have fun. If you ain't, if you're listening to this episode, and you ain't having fun. Quit tomorrow. Do something different. Please. Seriously. Please. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't waste your job time in a job you hate or working oh. for a brand you don't believe in. Like no, no. If you're excited about what you're doing. You won't work a day in your life. That's right. I wanted to ask you a bunch more questions, but we're out of time. Alex, thanks uh, for being on the RiderFlex podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and sorry for my long-windedness. <laughs> now you did great, my friend. Thank you, sir.